welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Tyson, so good to see you. Hey, how you doing? The book is amazing, and your voice, your energy, you know, I didn't want to lose like yours, so you can be told. It's urgent, it's passionate, it's necessary. I'm glad, so glad you're doing that work and making those connections. <laughs> Thanks. Well, let's just dive right in, because there is so much there to share. And I, I sort of wanted to talk to you, because as I read your story in Sandhawk. I just thought of the the people I've known in my life. I knew one homo Indian elder here in Northern California, some Native Hawaiians in, in Hawaii. And I've been so moved by stories of indigenous people trying to navigate all the complexity, both of their own backgrounds and the modern world. And so as I read Sandhawk, I just thought your book Sandhawk, I just thought, wow, this story needs to be told. I think people are, um, like the only reason I'm, I'm selling any books or people are sort of checking out my work it's kind of just because people are sick of of having knowledge from special people sick of listening to elevated wise people who know things and i think people you know in their interaction with the rest of the world with the cities and institutions and everything else they've come to really mistrust people who are claiming that they know the answers <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's only so many cults you can join before you're like god damn it i'm not gonna that again. <laughs> and I think people are just like, okay, who's like, who's the thinker who's like just so shitty that they couldn't possibly be a guru? Um, all right, I'll talk to this guy. He's never going to try and talk me out of my socks. See how we go. Yeah, well, uh, so much of our inquiry and our communication up here in the head, and I know I'm in my head a lot of the time. I'm in my head all the time in my professional world. And then so if, I, if I try and bring that head approach to my marriage with wife or to my friends, like they don't want it. They want you to be authentic yourself and be in your present with them. That's it. Like, the, I don't know. I, th I think people are longing to just interface with another being for a minute. I don't know. I, I, I just I just feel like all discourse has become a struggle, either a struggle session or a culture war or something. Like every bit of discourse in every relationship, it's it's a fight at the moment. And it's, you know, people trying to curate themselves into something that they're not that will give them more cachet will give them more capital will give them more competitive edge you know we're all skating around these fitness surfaces these evolutionary fitness surfaces in this abstract layer of economy that's just made of nothing a tissue paper of lies and we're trying to survive on it you know by becoming that and it just it's just falling apart and i think people are sick of it and they're ready for something else they just don't know what the hell that something else is yet or you know how to be able to trust the sort of emergence of what happens when they make proper networks of relationships and just live within those it comes from that but they don't have to find an expert who knows a new way to tweak the governance system to tweak the structures of this system to make it feel more fair not the way change is going to come 
And the word you use, emergence, trusting and emergence, and nature is emergent. Nature just inherently has everything that it does and needs in this emergent way. And we human beings are so used to manipulating things, again, top down, that it's pretty it's like rewiring ourselves and yeah. be with that emergent property of what's just organically there. I mean, they, they talk about you know resilience and adaptation, and they've, they've, they've ruined those words now, so we can't use them anymore. <laughs> they've ruined those like in, and turned them into, well, you're responsible for your own safety and, and healing now after we poison you and, <laughs> or, and dispossess you and whatever else you know that's going to happen here after we poison all your water, then, well, you just need to become more resilient. You know, so it's up to you to sort out all the cancer and everything with your resilience and adaptivity. We, we just need to keep polluting. <laughs> so there's kind of, they kind of ruined those terms. But, you know, with, um, with what those things were before they got co-opted by liberalism, which everything, everything resistant always gets co-opted by liberalism and turned around and put to work for the system. It's sanitized and turned into something else. But if you can remember what adaptation meant a decade ago, and what resilience meant a decade ago, then you can think, ah, yeah, so that system has that resilience of, you know, when it gets a knock, it, it actually, the system enjoys it. Like a healthy system enjoys getting a knock because it's sort of breaking the pattern for a minute and then allows everything to recombinate in there. And in new, new and interesting ways, it's sort of, it's like your immune system. It loves to get a bit of a knock. Your immune system, it loves it. Because, you know, and, and it just makes it more vibrant and, you know, keeps it, you know, keeps it recombinating, keeps it complexifying and complexifying, you know. you know. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't get that knock, then it stagnates. So a system likes that. You know, I like it when you know, my mate Jim beats me up with sticks down the road when, I, <laughs> when we're doing our training <laughs> to, you know, get me off my chubby butt once a week to remind me where my edges are. You know, my body likes coming home with some sort of, I don't know, it's, so it's more than just this idea of resilience. But resilience and adaptation together, they sort of begin to, combination of those two words begins to approach what I'm talking about. You do need that little knock. And so I guess out of crises, out of disasters, there are things to be glimpsed that sort of puts you towards you know what a life is like that is constantly vibrant and in a state of abundance and movement and change and interest and love and life and uh, fat in all the right places <laughs> and challenging with that sometimes too yeah I, i've associated about 10 years worth of research on ptsd mostly with veterans uh, with quite a few australian veterans mostly u.s veterans as well and one of the intriguing things was that people have to write express there in these desperate circumstances and the data show that two-thirds of them actually emerge stronger and have post-traumatic growth collapse and go into PTSD. Them use that the fire of that trauma to actually transcend and move to a whole new place. And and I guess I'd like to know what the percentage is with that third that crash and burn. The percentage of those who aren't crashing and burning until after they've re-entered the economy and the state, the controls of the economy and the state. Because I mean, I usually find that that's that's when the shock settles, <laughs> when the trauma settles in, and people trying to make meaning of it back in that frame and cannot make that meaning. Right. Yeah. And also somehow out there in the midst of the trauma, for a moment, there's some small part and that doesn't dare mention its name where that person in the trauma in the tr moment of impact discovered their agency 
Yes. And or, and usually and discovered connection with yes. other people, but then human and non-human entities, you know, even animals, plants, whatever, but, but less often plants. But yes, places, you know, people, people who go through these things, they regard the sites of their trauma as sacred places mm. and they always go back to them. You know, we still, we, we spend a fortune on this continent over here to return to Gallipoli on a regular basis. You know, we're going and hang around Turkey. Like what for? What, what does any Australian need to be doing that for? But they're all going, you know, the descendants of the Anzacs. Australia and New Zealand, they're always heading over to Gallipoli and um, spending time in that sacred place. And that's generations later, you know, where a traumatic event occurred. That's sacred ground. You know, we we understand. I mean, it becomes sacred ground because as domesticated humans actually form a link with a place and it's so profound that it feels like it feels sacred. That was the site where they regained, you know, a glimpse of what it is to be human. And then they come home and they try and make sense of that in their life where there's jobs and where there's a welfare state and where there are roads, corners, corners not just on the walls of the cells that they have to inhabit in their house, but a bit on every behavior and every, not like generative protocols that sort of limit excessive behaviors and direct you to more amazing behaviors. Not those things, but rules, rules, rules. And I think they just fall apart in there. I think it's, it's, it post, it's certainly post-trauma post-traumatic stress but it's quite a bit post happens quite a bit after i think it's it's when you fail to integrate the meaning of this meaningless life that we're all asleep walking through (laughs) when you fail to integrate the meaning of that with the meaning that you found there but yeah and i think that the only way you can make sense of that and stay in in the domesticated sphere is to um is to take on the victim the entire victim branding. There's there's a whole suite of there's a, a suite of traits that you can select from a menu for the for the victiming um, that works quite well. Like that helps you stay in balance with the domesticated, uh, industrialized human sort of sphere. Give yourself some of that victimhood. It's very good. <laughs> oh, I do it all the time. I do it. I do it every other day. Like I'm here talking like I'm some kind of bloody rugged individualist or libertarian hero. I'm I'm terrible. (laughs) I'm the biggest victim there ever was. Like I I try not to. And so that comes across in my writing. But just in my daily life, I'm like, boo hoo hoo, what was me every five minutes? My toes are still broken. It's been six months. Why haven't they healed yet? It's like, wah, wah, get on with it, boy. Well, in your book, you talk about complexity and needless complexity and then the complexity of nature and just accepting it all. And I thought that was really powerful the way you have this complete inclusion of every bit of your experience. And so not trying to impose this, what you would you describe as top-down order on something as complex as the natural world. That includes all of your feelings, all of your responses, all of your social mm. connections, the whole package. Yeah, it's, it's not just... Like, I guess your experience within the system is, is part of it. Sort of, it's not even the lens through which you're seeing it. You know, the, the system is observing itself and you're in it. <laughs> and it, it's, it is tricky, isn't it? Because then from what are you speaking? You know, so we have like a, a colonial system, like an imperial system that's standing outside, trying to stand outside of that natural world or pretend to have that um, obje- objectivity and removal. And then they want to do interventions into the natural system and that community and all that sort of thing. And yeah, I don't know. But I don't know we're supposed to respond. I, I, I just had something incredibly profound to say and I just lost it. Isn't that awful? <laughs> 
It was amazing too. God, it would have been good. It would have been really good. It was the best thing I've ever said. And now it's gone. It's, it's freaking just gone forever. Oh. <laughs> that's a piece of the messy complexity. Oh. Yeah. God, it was good. Anyway, that's baby brain for you. I tell you, it is good to be a dad, a hands-on dad, but it's, 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 not, it's not good for your cognition. Anyway. Yeah, maybe if I could backtrack a little. Oh my goodness, it was very good. Anyway, it's gone. No, it's gone. Well, we were talking about integration after trauma and the need to revisit the place, points of connection, the social bonding. I know mm. that in those veterans that actually did recover, they had strong mm. community bonds. They, 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 they were there for each other. It wasn't just their mates. It was people in their communities. It was their kids. It was their wives. It was their friends. And they were the ones who were resilient. They found resilience in, in, in the heart and in, in connection with other people. I mean, it's like, but they tell us lies after these disasters. Like, you know, so what do you know about Hurricane Katrina? It's like everything on the news there. But I've been looking into that and, and, I don't know, they were all retractions later from the newspapers, etc. but they're all on like page 27 down the bottom. <laughs> that all the rapes and murders and chaos and looting didn't happen. So it's 90-something percent of all the violence done there was by the police and military that were sent in to try and prevent lawlessness. And so often, you know, they were a bit jumpy and they, they shot quite a few people who were like, you know, carrying stretchers taking water to an old person or something like that but the community really did pull together you know and that you know the 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 hellscape that was reported in the media um just it wasn't there and you talk to and all i can find is interviews with people who say it was the best time of their whole life and was that you know it was horrifying they'd lost everything but they were incredibly happy together it's like they gained the world in what they'd found in each other, in this patterning. They found their true inheritance, this this patterning of an economy and a governance structure, which is, you know, in us in the same way that a migratory, that migratory roots are in birds. When they're born, they know what to do, you know, and we know what to do with, with trade and governance. It's it's like part of our pattern. Part of connection. It's in our, it's in our biology, and, you know, we are the land. You know, biology is of the land and patterned on that. So it's it's patterned in that landscape and you find it there too. So the law is in the land. The law is in your bones. It's it's there. And just that moment that the genie is released from the bottle there and everybody enjoys that, that moment of rediscovery of like, oh my God, this is what I am. This is the organism that I am. All these people here, this is my... I'm in this species here, this custodial species, these people, this is our work. This is what we do. And it's beautiful. They feel that for a minute and they gain the world. And then, you know, I guess the most traumatic thing is to suddenly lose all that again. Someone goes, no, insurance. Yeah. And then for so many people, actually, they don't appreciate the, the challenge that the natural world brings. I know they actually mm. want to minimize it. And I know I go to conferences sometimes where I, where I speak and, and it's like they want the natural world totally tamed and manageable. Mm. And there's, there's no sense of getting out there into, into places. I went to one at, at a pell called Miraval in the middle of the desert. And they were in the middle of the desert and there were lush green grasses. And there are ponds. It's like, hey guys, this is the desert. So I, I just, I just left after a while, and I would just go in, in the morning. It was really hot in the afternoon, but in the morning I just go for maybe two hours, like really early in the morning, and just be wander around out of the resort, being, you know, feeling the place. But other people who go to Mirabel, it's like, oh yeah, I went to the desert. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, love. Five star hotel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, man, we got desert. 
<laughs> we got desert with resorts in it. Yeah, same. Yeah, and I mean, they do enjoy the, the palate, don't they? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I know personally, I, I go to usually one week between a month. I'm able to organize mm. my calendar and do much work and go away for a week and just go to someplace mm. really, um, really bright, like be on the on the cliffs of the ocean and sleep there yeah. and be there and just really, really, really ground myself. I know that... Yeah, uh, well, you're giving back something of yourself into the place. Yeah. Like not necessarily in terms of matter, although, you know, your, your waste you know, that, that you produce there in that time, that does help that place. But so yes, physically that, but also, you know, the sustenance that you're gaining in spirit from that place, you're actually, you're looping that back. That's a closed loop when you come into relation in that way. And it's, um, too many people have that extractive relation where they go to fill themselves up at the place with the big trees, you know, and you see that even with uh, Vincent van, van, van Gogh with all his paintings. You know, I keep coming back to that. I, I really went back through his story. I was kind of obsessed with it for a while. But, you know, he was talking about nature as, as kind of like this e extraction point, you know, something to be uh, pillaged for color. You know, it's like the light and the color that he could take from a place. When he, when he found a moment, you know, within a season, within an orchard, you know what I mean? And it was about, oh, what can I take from this? What light can I extract? What color? Can I possess, you know, <laughs> it's sort of like vampiring off the, the kind of beauty of, of, well, what he would think of as the beauty of nature, but that's just like everything in creation trying to have sex in one, mo <laughs> in one moment, because it's just like, you know, when, when I'm walking around, I don't know if it's just because of, like, all I see is everything trying to have sex. So it's like, you know, it's, it's what, if, if, if things are beautiful, it's, they're sexual. If they're ugly, then, then they're usually asexual. So. But, um, you know, a forest, in a forest, everything, everything is competing for a mate. Everything is trying to attract something. It's that big jumble, that big mesh of, of attraction that, that makes the beautiful. And, but you're supposed to walk around in that beautiful and be, you're supposed to be a sexual part of that. Like that's what your sexuality is and that's who you are and you're walking in it. And you're giving that in closed loop. You know, you're in that system and understanding that you're part of that system, not standing outside of it, taking a photograph or painting a picture. And I think when people break that loop, have that open loop, and then they're trying to extract through it, like sucking um, petrol out of a petrol tank, gas out of a gas tank through a bit of hose, you know, I think that's, that's what they get. And I think it makes them want to kill themselves and cut their ear off. Wow, what an analogy. And then, you know, you've traveled widely and especially in Australia and then went from your, the whole story you tell at the beginning, which is really interesting. You say, I can't imagine why people want to know my story. And then you tell it and it's, it's really remarkable. And then how, what I wonder though is as you would move around and as you move around today, as you go to a new place, how do you, how do you connect with place? What's your practice to connect with place? Well, it's I, I think it's different to what your experience is with 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 being in place. Like you almost have templates, you know, where where you understand, you know, almost like a kind of country, red soil or black soil or you know, sand. Is it you know what I mean? And there are a lot of different rubrics for those things. You know, it's about I guess you you come with some already sort of templates that you look at the place and you can you're able to compare. Oh, this is like this other place and then I know what the niches are you're like okay so in that mulga niche here there, there's this one instead all right so if that's the case then are the ants and the butterflies doing the same thing that they would normally do you know okay so that would be that season there but this is a couple of thousand k south so now 
thought, how is that going to work? Would that be, all right, well, I've got to come back here in March and see what those ants and butterflies are doing. Because I'll bet that'll be when this one's dropping its pollen. And if it's dropping its pollen then, then those butterflies might be doing their dance down there with the ants together. And that will be interesting to see. If, you know what I mean? It, I don't know. There's that same, you have some templates, but it's, it's, there's so many complex like symbioses like that going on and ceremonies like I just described to you a ceremony you know land-based entities beings do together in you know different seasons and when you there, there's a certain level of understanding that you get of of, of these systems these land-based systems where you, you go there and templates the wrong word to describe it but it's the closest I can come where you have broad understandings of how different kinds of landscapes work and then, you know, and you, you bring that and you start to see the patterns come of what's same and what's different. But I guess that's how you do it, even at the, at the smallest level, just walking right now out of your house and down the street. It's starting to notice same and different, high, low, hot, cold, wet, dry, and following those liminal spaces. Stop somewhere where you feel to stop and then, you know, imagine you know, 5,000 litres of water being dropped in that place and then look and see where you think the water would flow. Start following the tracks of that imaginary water in the landscape of where it would go because that's those places are the liminal, they're the liminal sort of trails and where the energies are. And you follow that and follow that, and then you start to look for other signs. If there's trees there, you look for how the trees are growing in relation to the track that you're following. Because uh, if that's a true track, then that will affect the growth of the trees and where the branches are pointing and growing and stretching and all the rest. And then you'll understand where the underground water is. And then when you understand where that is, then you'll understand where the birds are going to go in that season and which birds are going there. And then once you understand that, then you understand, you see what I mean? You, you get a, a knock-on effect, you know, this sort of uh, relational network of causes and effects, but more than that, of, of connections that are layered because those connections are different from moment to moment in cycles and season, seasonal cycles. You know what I mean? So there are stacks upon stacks and wheels within wheels and you are navigating this like intense weave, like a four-dimensional weave <laughs> that you're navigating once you start to get in there until suddenly you realize that time and place are the same thing. And when you're there, when you've got like this understanding of time, place, then you just you just move in the world like that and it's enough. So I like, a, like I keep saying, a 14-year-old Aboriginal boy's understanding of time, place, it's enough. It's, 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 that's enough for me to do absolutely everything that I need to do in this world. And I could get five doctorates on that 14-year-old boy's understanding of, <laughs> of time, place, and I can do more innovations than is healthy for one person to have in their lifetime So uh, in this current economic system. So I'm happy to sit with that well, level of knowledge, and that's attainable by absolutely everybody. You know, To our ancestors, it was a matter of life and death. If you were bad at that, you died. <laughs> yeah. If you were good at recognizing the patterns, then you live. And it's so mm. interesting to, to look at the patterns in nature around you mm. and I, you know, I, I watch people I, I have a beautiful park right next to me and I take walks there I go, go bike rides there often once a day and but I watch other people you know they're jogging they have their heads they have their, their earphones in uh, they're talking on the, on the phone you know they're totally focused on getting their exercise routine done they aren't noticing what's happening and, and if you if you just stop and, and, and breathe and start to approach it the way you're you're picture you're painting there of pretty observing noticing being one with and then also the pleasure of doing it over and over and over again in the same place and then building up the, those layers of knowledge about place you you start to like put roots into understanding yeah. 
a place that just a superficial glance or a quick walk can ever do. And in the end, that's that's the thing. You know, a lot of people talking about you know signal and noise right now in the world. You know, and so people with their headphones in there, they're getting this noise. It's kind of like everybody's, you know, everybody's grabbing a little bit of the noise that's their brand or whatever, and they think that's the signal and that's theirs. You know, and they and they just try and congregate with other people who have that similar frequency of noise, but everyone's missing the signal. You know, and I don't know the people who are talking about signal and noise have an idea of data. You know, producing you know that there are signals that come through the data, and that's great, that's good. You know, but there's informatics in the natural world too, and particularly in the land. You know, there are those. There is narrative in the landscape. There is signal in those places that I mentioned before. We there is signal coming from landscape like that. There's signal coming from every entity of the land and from all the people around you. But then also the sort of collective within that the big collective sort of minds and resonances you know that are happening you know um in those you know like groups and unlike groups across them and everything else there are there's signal there there's signal as i said your body is country oh yeah you know it's in your bones there's signal there there's story there there's pattern you know and that is good signal call that right story so we'd say a proper story you know but wrong story is wrong story is the stuff that individuals or or groups uh, just make up for their own gain, for their gain within an illusory system, you know, like an economy or something like that. That's that's wrong story from our cultural point of view. That's what wrong story is. And there's almost everybody's doing wrong story now. You're curating your story for the world, you know, and you're starting to believe that illusion yourself about what you are. And I guess that's why people find it refreshing just to have somebody talk without filters for a bit and just see what. Oh my God. <laughs> This guy is going to be destroyed. I can't look away. Maybe you will, but just try without the filters for a minute. Try not to curate it and, and just let your true signal come through. Just be a signal for a minute and just enjoy that. It's not safe at all, and you'll probably be cancelled in five minutes, but it's so. <laughs> everybody who everybody who's ever been cancelled is, is more successful than they were before they were cancelled. It's like COVID. Everyone's blaming COVID as like, you know, oh, I was doing really well, you know, yeah, I was working really hard. I, I like had all these jobs lined up, you know, I was applying for jobs all the time and then COVID came, man. COVID came and I just I just haven't got yeah, I was getting my shit together. I was losing weight. I was working out. I looked really good. I was really fit. I was really fit and handsome and then COVID, you know? And now I'm just this fat thing. Thing here. <laughs> I know that's my victim excuse about COVID. <laughs> anyway, it is fun just to like, you know, I don't know, to, I don't know, to, you've got to laugh at your nip slips, you know, when you have them. You can't just be mortified and try and pretend it didn't happen. You've got to have a bit of a laugh. <laughs> and that's a good place to start. Don't take it all too uh, seriously. You know, one of the things I notice when I'm doing a retreat going away for a few days is there is a period of, of calibration. It doesn't for me happen right away. I don't know about you, but it takes me about two days to drop in. I can't go from the civilized world into being engaged with nature. I can do it a little bit in a, in a walk or, you know, in a, a, a short excursion from the office or the house. But when I go away on a retreat, it, it just something it's, it's like shifting gear from, you know, yeah. fifth, fourth, third, and suddenly you're, you're down to 
first. It's organic body shifting for me that, that happens. I don't know if that's true for you too. It takes a while for me. Well, it is. You know, I, I mean, our lives have been stolen from us. All of us in the last century, everybody on the planet's been removed from the landscape. A century ago, most of the people in the world were still living in a very close relationship with the land, intimate, embedded relationship with landscape. Most of the people in the world. It was only a century ago that kind of started uprooting most people, even in the last 50 years, really, really ramping that up. So it's only in the last century that everyone's been dispossessed you know, from the landscape, and that's most of the people on the planet. You've either lost lost your connection or you're in the process of losing your connection or you're going to be killed. Because if you're somebody, <laughs> I don't know, who uh, who is refusing, <laughs> who's refusing to lose that connection, then you, your existence probably won't be tolerated for much longer. So I don't know, we have that and we're all in this. You have to, you have to sell your labor. You know, everybody has to do that. And it's possible, though, to accumulate enough capital, which is basically just a way of storing, you know, labor hours. You can accumulate enough capital to be able to do what you want with your own time for a certain set amount of time. You can spend those credits. Sounds like a sci-fi novel, doesn't it? But it's not. It's just regular capitalism. You, you can just save it up and then you get to do what you need to do. Then for a time, you get to enjoy what it is to be human. Most like really wealthy people who have so much of that credit stored up that they couldn't use it up in 100,000 lifetimes. Those people just, uh, they actually enjoy the abundance that, you know, that our species is used to. Most of the time, <laughs> you know, for most of the last couple of million years, it's it's been pretty lovely. And I don't know. So I, I guess in those moments where you are allowing yourself, how long do you take for a retreat? A fortnight? A month? I usually take one week off a month. Right. One week off a month. So, you, you know, you spend the other three accruing some surplus labor <laughs> so that you're able to you're able to purchase back your time. So that you can spend a week as a human being um, rather than as a as a as a tool, and so off we go. And ah, oh, it's just awful. <laughs> but so yeah, you accumulate that. You basically you buy back your time. You spend a week as a human being. And I guess from the moment you you log off, then you're um you're already you're already enjoying it. From the moment you log off, you're already feeling better. Uh, but then actually doing a retreat and actually you know, being able to concentrate on your stuff even better. We're talking about reconnection. I want to know if you could just share with people what that process of reconnection might look like on an individual level. I mean, on the planetary level, obviously, we have, we have a long way to go. We're, we're basically mm. on a us that we're highly disconnected and is giving us many signals all over the world. Every season that that's so. And so how do we even begin the process of repair as individuals? I, I just think you don't have to worry about that. Your, your network takes care of that. If you're if you're focused inwards and you're focusing on self-actualizing, then you are um, cutting yourself off from the source. You're opening that closed loop. Every bit of work that you put into yourself <laughs> is is destroying you. That, that would be my point of view. But I mean, please don't assume that's true and, and then just go and follow it. <laughs> Have a, have a think about it. Work it into your meditation. Work it into your mindfulness thing. But I just seriously, I just think self-actualization is not just a waste of time, but it's 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 actually quite deliberately there to prevent us from doing the thing that, things that we need to do, which involve you know uh, us actually connecting and you know being in these networks of praxis, thought, and feeling together. That actually they do take care of. They take care of all your your actualization. You know, they take care of that. 
being in those networks. That doesn't mean you're not an individual. You are a fabulous, awesome individual. But, you know, it's because of the unique pattern of your network. No one has, no two people have exactly the same network. Yours is, is, is wonderful. And the way that you know every unit within that, even when, you know, a thousand people know the, the same bloody ones, your relationship, your pattern of relations in there is absolutely unique. And that's where your mind is. That's where your story is. That's where your memory is. That's where all your skills and knowledge are. There's not very much going on inside of you at all. It's, I mean, there's a lot going on just for the basic operating system, you know, to go. But yeah, it's it's a mistake to be looking inwards and thinking that's where everything is, and that that's what you need to work on. Yeah, work work outwards. Um, I, I, I would say try try that and actually see how how much better you feel on the inside, the less you're digging around in there. <laughs> So outwards, outwards being community, being the earth. Yeah, yeah, Con- connecting with place, connecting with human and non-human entities, you know, connecting and, and it just try... <sighs> I just try not to be like, oh, it, you know, I think I, most of the people I've seen hugging trees are, are really just hugging themselves or they're trying to get a hug from the tree. It's it's that trick of being the amazing, fabulous individual, but knowing that your amazing, fabulous individuosity is actually, you know, a product of, of a bigger system, of a big, beautiful system of relations, you know, that's giving you life. And, you know, it, it doesn't exist to do that. You know, it's a symbiosis. And, you know, in a symbiosis, there's what's more important, the ant or the butterfly? Who's the most fabulous one? Who gives a f- Neither of them. Both. They're an ant to fly. Yeah, I know that's the, the word that the Lakota Sioux use in their sweat lodges is patakwiyas and all my relations. When they say mm. all my relations, they mean all my relations. Enter the sweat lodge when you leave the sweat lodge, when you are between the cycles of the sweat lodge, that acknowledgement of all my relations. I, actually, as I say this, I, at times I'm getting goosebumps, chills all over my body, just thinking about some of the sweat lodges and one Benson that I've been privileged to, to sweat with. And, and then they, they, all my relations doesn't mean my relatives. It means everything. It means the, the insects. It means my ancestors. It's every, every layer of life. And they're evolving all of this in every single phase of that ceremony. It's so powerful. Yeah, that's it. It is, it's everything, but it's, it's not, it's also, it's not this oneness. It's not this cosmic oneness as well. This sort of disembodied oneness that people seek, you know, through plant medicines, plant teachers and stuff like that. And that you have, you see in this, this sort of new age space often, you know, that, that kind of metaphysics that's emerged from, you know, quite a bit of the weird occult stuff of the late 1800s, early 1900s, the stuff that gave rise to a lot of the, the very weird mythologies basically became fascism, you know, that became Hindu fascism, you know, German fascism, Italian fascism, Asian fascism. There was, um, you know, all these weird occult mythologies that sort of um, led into that that kind of, I don't know, just kind of metastasized through (laughs) everything. And you wouldn't believe how much of that weirdness is in the New Age movement, you know, and just just in all of the um, accoutrement that you find. And, but especially just in the that practice of individuation and extractive relation with the universe, it, it all moves towards a kind of weird transhumanism, which pretty much everyone agrees, capitalist and communist and fascist and everyone else except for a handful of anarchists around the world. <laughs> Everybody's into the transhumanism, you know, from the Russian cosmists to the, you know, the crypto fascists. They they all <laughs> all in the same uh, in the same lifeboat. 
with well, all in it. When you think about the spiritual traditions of the ancients, they were very much focused on, you know, like in, in, in Christianity or in Sufism, they were focused on transcendence and leaving the world. You sort of moved into this space of oneness with the, with the cosmos, and often you literally left the world by going to a monastery, hiking up into the Himalayas, going to the desert. You just went away, try and integrate it. And, and the, the idea was that you can't. The, the, Life is nasty, brutish, and short here. Yeah. Regular world, and you have to escape into the mountain top to have any kind of transcendent experience. And you want to stay there once you've had that good experience. You don't want to come back down here and deal with diapers and yeah. And and <laughs> it's that ecstatic loop. Yeah. It's making making that ecstatic loop and staying in it. I, re I remember seeing. Uh, it, it was in the eighties when I was a kid. And it was some movie, and I, and I think it must have been, and this is like, I'm talking pre-Lawnmower Man, you know, before VR was a thing. And so it was some kind of science fiction show that was imagining a virtual reality, like as a training a training machine that gave you full, uh, you know, you could hook your brain up to another person's brain or to a recording of someone doing something, and you would have the full bodily experience, you know, sensation experience. You could just lie there. And have the full sensory experience of another person. I saw the movie about that, and this fellow had um, had just taken. <laughs> okay, so one of the, the interns decided to have sex <laughs> with the machine on, and so that that tape was just kind of going around the office, going around the lab, and everybody was, <laughs> you know, experiencing that. Anyway, somebody had found a way to loop a particular part of that tape. They just got a, a very, I don't know, a peak moment, I guess you'd call it in that moment. And they'd loop, they'd put it on a loop. And that was sort of found the next day. And, and you know, um, they were almost, they'd almost killed themselves. Orgasm. <laughs> yeah. Orgasm machine. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, I, I, I feel like that's spiritually what we're kind of doing to ourselves in, in a lot of ways with a lot of these sort of movements and sort of, you know, little snippets of self-help stuff that sort of i mean buddhism is buddhism was a movement you know and it was a movement against hierarchies and privilege it was a way for people to reclaim it was pretty much you know the same as christianity when it started out you know most good things start out the same way as that a human pattern trying to reassert itself after a series of disasters and that's what buddhism is when i look at it it's got all this stuff the right path right thought right word all these things beyond just like here's this meditation technique you know but it's basically it's basically a, a bloody anti-fascist handbook <laughs> a, a way of setting up a way of living that ensures that nobody is ever bossing anybody again and therefore everybody's able to live in this kind of abundance that's what buddhism is it's activism but then i see you know liberalism co-opting that and all these corporations sending the pdf document on how to do mindfulness <laughs> one page <laughs> mindfulness here's this one practice ripped from this tradition minus all the the dirty stuff and minus all the spirit stuff and it's just like um can you feel your finger can you feel it can you feel the skin on your finger excellent now can you feel the inside of your finger trippy isn't it yes Feel the inside of your finger. Now feel the inside of your hand. Could you do the other hand as well? Could you do both hands? Excellent. Now both hands and both arms. Now can you feel the inside of both of your arms and both of your legs? Now I want you to take that feeling and just be with it for a moment. See if you can move. Walk around in the world like that for a minute. Isn't it nice? Now get back to work! <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> you know, and I don't think that's what the bodhisattvas had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny.
Wow. Yes, we try and tame these ancient practices and insights and put them into our structured boxes. And, and yet, you know, so, so many things are breaking out now. Like, obviously, the whole natural world is breaking down and mm. giving huge messages that we can't continue as before. I mean, this is a self-terminating civilization unless yeah. we change. We're, we're, we're being like, you know, it's, it's change or go extinct. We're facing pretty stark choices of species here. So, yeah. Well, it's the experiment of nationhood. A lot of people are like, you know, arguing over which model of nationhood it is. Oh, is it, oh, it's communism that's destroying the world. It's, you know, all this collectivism and sharing and states. And no, 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 it's capitalism. It's all this greed. It's not. They're both growth-based systems. And, you know, you can't have a massive nation where everybody is supposed to be the same under one law. You can't have that. You can't control millions and millions of people from one central government. You can't do that, you know, without a growth-based economic system. You can't do it without a caste system. You can't do it without inequality. So it's the system of nations itself. The, the, it's, it's an experiment that's been run only for 100 years. They didn't even exist before that. You didn't have that. You had city-states and by the empires and kingdoms and stuff like that, which were tiny. They were tiny things. Like, just relax. Get back to uh, regional identities, you know. <laughs> it's, it's like, really, we need to get back to that patchwork quilt of regions and local governments. It's worked since forever, and it's worked forever <laughs> for people. It's whenever anyone tries to grow beyond that, it stops working. You can't have it. And every 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 culture around the world, our culture, we've got cautionary tales about that. There's always this animal or this being that got too big and had to be destroyed. Just, I mean, read your Jack and the Beanstalk. You, you don't need to learn about Manala, the, the, the monster cod, you know, from our stories down here, or Tidalek or any of those Aboriginal dreamy stories. Just open any of your own, like, fairy tales and have a look there. It's, it's right there. <laughs> Uh, there's and you know and the related tales i mean i can start i can see a story map there coming out you got jack and the beanstalk and that's related there's a harp in there and then there's also the goose that laid the golden egg is another intersecting story i'm seeing a web of stories here now there must be a place there must be places for those stories who's going to find those places who's going to find the mountain range that's the body of the gold uh, of the golden goose you need to find that because that's your map your maps of story it's not a story and it's only a tale until it has place and when it has place then you'll find the lore in that story and then your people will stop killing the golden goose you know everybody's children grows up with the goose that laid the golden egg story but you know we all have to serve a system that keeps killing the golden goose so you know can we come back under the law of the land please find it i can see it in there it's uh it's a there's a landscape of meaning in there i'm just breathing in your words tyson i'm just breathing in those words that landscape of meaning that is there already, just waiting to be discovered by a modern human being. You know, for, for those just to, to end up with, we these are huge ideas. And then I want to end with just recommending a practice to people. Make it the simplest practice. What would you tell somebody who just wanted to to, to start to make this real in, the, in their, their life? What, right. what, what can they do? Easy. That, that, okay. So read all the words, all the words on, on the screen behind you and all, all those words and their meanings in your head. And then think, okay, I've got to find a way to think of all those things combined as one thing without any abstract nouns. How would I think of all those things without an abstract noun? Like, for example, how could it be a verb? And then when you translate that into a verb, go and do that thing. That, that'll probably work. I don't know. I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm just, I'm proposing an experiment. 
which I guess might be the only answer that I could offer would be, you know, keep in your inquiry going and stay curious and don't accept anybody's propaganda or answers. If they've got an answer, then they're full of shit, probably. Go and be that thing. Just steal the energy of those words. Like I, I look at them sometimes and I just, I tune into why did we human beings come up with the word like gentleness or graciousness or kindness or compassion? Yeah. Well, they're all abstract nouns. And, you know, in, in my language, there isn't, there's no abstract nouns at all. You know, and, and I look at them and I think, oh my goodness, how, um, how has that changed the way I see the world and what I focus on? You know, it does shift your reality. It shifts all of your lens, like to know these things. But then to unknow them, it does something else. To unknow them, to know what's there, to know yourself and to... I know certainly for me in those retreats and just standing with my feet in the ground, you unknow everything and just being is so profoundly powerful. I just I just can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. I just I just love your mission. I love your... The, the, the way you shine a spotlight on this, the way your style of writing. And I'm just so grateful you're doing what you're doing. So much gratitude for sharing this time together. Oh, thanks for having a good laugh with me. I, I, like, <laughs> yeah, I really, I really like your oh. laugh too. Yeah. I had to restrain myself, Tyson. I wanted to scoot with laughter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but here, here I am talking like, you know, frowning upon people who are, <laughs> you know, pursuing ecstatic loops. And all I do for the whole interview is ignore your questions and try and find ways to make you laugh because I was enjoying <laughs> that ecstatic loop. So, you know, if you want a model of what not to do, see previous interview. Yeah. Well, you can, <laughs> right. your book is about five laughs per page on average, so... Sweet. Nice. Uh, the money intended. Go back to your <laughs> Okay. If you were an Italian, that would be a rude signal. Completely. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> 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 I love that. Hey, ti faccio un culo così. All right, bros. It's good to talk to you. 